0: Thank you, Richie. Wow, it's amazing. We're going shopping this afternoon, no doubt about it, uh, online. That's a cool thing uh, that we can get on and do that and uh, provide something special for someone. And uh, we're blessed to have uh, people like Richie in our church who uh, is on the odds board. Uh, so we have an inside with the ministry and know what's going on. Uh, he's also a mission chairman. Uh, leading our missions team, so uh, he's, he's a blessing. He's a, a, lot, a great resource for us to, uh, uh, to be able to help people around the world. Uh, well, guys, Merry Christmas. It's good to see you, everybody. My name is Randy, if I haven't met you yet. Uh, it's an awesome day. It doesn't feel like Christmas weather-wise. You know, it feels like uh, spring or something like that, which is fine with me, absolutely. Uh, but it's a little bit different uh, this year, and uh, I hope that you are having an awesome Christmas. Maybe some things are going on in your life. Uh, with uh, health changes or family changes or something uh, that's made it a little bit dimmer or different this year. Uh, If so, then our prayers are with you, and we hope that that, uh, you find joy in this season. So we are in a study book of Acts, but we're not talking about Acts today. Uh, That's one thing. We're talking about the birth of Jesus, and I'm excited uh, for this morning and tonight. Uh, Tonight, of course, we're going to be having our Christmas Eve service, and uh, we'll be looking at the Christmas story very specifically here uh, but today, I want to talk about something that I've never really talked a lot about today, uh, about, uh, but in the study, I really got excited about this, and, uh, and I want to share with you. You know, the Bible is the story of Jesus. If you ever wonder what the Bible is about, the Bible is the story of Jesus from beginning to end. Uh, in fact, the Christmas story begins in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, actually. Uh, it's just the book of uh, the Bible It's just, in the Old Testament, it's just one story Uh, after another about how God working, God choosing people, God working in those people. And the Bible also is one prophecy after another, promising the coming of a Messiah who would come down to our earth and who would redeem people back to God. In fact, the first mention of Jesus, the Messiah, as I said, is in the book of Genesis chapter 3. And it's a promise given to people after man had sinned that God one day would solve the problem, that one day someone would come that would crush the head of Satan once and for all. And so the Old Testament gives us prophecies, and then the New Testament gives us eyewitnesses of the promised Messiah. So if you ever going to kind of summarize the Bible, uh, the Old Testament is, tells us about God and prophesies what could happen, and the New Testament gives us a witness that it actually did. You know, if you wonder what a prophecy is, it's not really a complicated thing. It's basically a prediction. Where somebody said something was going to happen, and then when it happened, that's fulfilled. And you say, well, that person must have had some insight. They must have known. You don't get lucky all the time on things like that. And we're going to talk about fulfillment of prophecies. But I want to read Scripture from Second uh, Peter Chapter 1, uh, talking about eyewitnesses and prophecies. Peter says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised staples, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. We also have the word of the prophets as confirmed beyond doubts. And you'll do well to pay attention to it, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you should understand that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one own interpretation. For no such prophecy was ever brought forth by the will of man." But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter talks about the importance of eyewitnesses, of which he was one, of the life of Jesus. But then he also speaks about the power and the importance of prophecy and saying it wasn't like somebody just predicted something on their own, not their own understanding, their own wisdom, but instead they were led along by the Holy Spirit of God. You know, prophecy is not something that we think a lot about, to be honest with you. And I think we also underestimate the power of it and the importance. Prophecy is tangible, it's historical, it's reliable, it's irrefutable, it was there, written down, and then when it happened, and they had no proof it was going to except trusting and being led by God. But prophecy is powerful, prophecy ties the Bible together connects the Old Testament and the New Testament. It helps us see that the Bible is not just a bunch of, uh, of stories and a bunch of uh, facts that are kind of strung together, but instead there's a common thread that runs from beginning to end. From Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is the common thread and God's plan of redemption is what leads from beginning to end. Prophecy also proves to us that God inspired the Bible. Because no man or no group of people could possibly put all this together. No one could, you know, ever fabricate this and pull it off over a period of over 1,500 years. Prophecy brings together a hope and strengthens our faith in the Word. And prophecy shows us that God's hand and God's plan is in mind all the way through it. Long before Jesus was born, God had a plan and He was making it happen there. Now today I want to talk about how the prophecy proves that Jesus was truly the Son of God and that no other person could possibly fill that role. No one else could possibly do it. To begin with, Bible scholars suggest that there are at least 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that would lead to the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus. And that Jesus fulfilled every one of them, covering almost every area of Jesus' life. So many things that happened in Jesus' life were prophesied, small details that few people would notice, but they were spoken of long before His coming. But today we're going to be looking only at a few major prophecies, we're going to look at 300, thankfully. We're going to look at just a few prophecies that talk specifically about the birth of Jesus Christ, who was called the Messiah, and we're going to talk about how Jesus fulfilled them. But first of all, before we even do that, let's look at the meaning of Messiah. You know, we hear that, we sing about Messiah. What does Messiah actually mean? The Hebrew word for Messiah and the Greek word for Christ are the same word. So when you hear those, read those words in the Old Testament, it'll be Messiah. In the New Testament, it will be Christ. They're the same word that is used there. And the words Jesus Christ means Jesus, the anointed one, or Jesus, the Messiah. So he is the anointed one. In Bible times, a person was oftentimes anointed or set apart for a very specific role. And they did that by pouring oil over their heads. So they literally anointed them with oil. And that set them apart for a special role. Jesus was anointed by God to be the Savior of the world, but not, he didn't use oil. Instead, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Old Testament prophecies tell us. All the Old Testament prophecies, point to just one person who would fulfill the same role. So it wasn't like a group of people were going to fulfill these prophecies. All of them had to center on one individual. All these prophecies had to be centered on and fulfilled by one person. And when you think about that, how difficult that would possibly be were it not for the power of God. In fact, it would be statistically almost impossible. There was a book that was written called Science Speaks, and uh, this illustration, I've used it before, but it just boggles my mind to think about. A man named Peter Stoner and Robert Newman in that book discussed the, the, uh, the statistical improbability of one man, whether accidentally or deliberately, fulfilling just eight of the 300 prophecies that are in the Bible. So keep in mind, they didn't try to figure out how likely it would be that someone would fulfill all 300, but that, that they would fulfill just eight of those prophecies. And they said that the chance of this happening is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. And uh, you know, I don't, I don't think a lot about numbers like that. I have seen uh, items that represent what a trillion is. A trillion is almost beyond our comprehension how much that is, which is scary when it comes to national debt to think about how much that really is. Uh, but, uh, but, but this is much more than trend This is 1 in 10th, 10 to the 17th power. And so he gives an illustration about what that might be, the magnitude of those odds. He says, imagine that you would take that many silver dollars, 10 to 17th to the power, uh, 17th power, silver dollars, and lay them on the face of Texas. How many people have been to Texas? I think we'd all verify Texas is a very big state, right? It is huge. But if you were to take those silver dollars and lay them on the state of Texas, it would cover all of the state two feet deep. Just imagine that. Imagine how many coins it would take to fill this room two feet deep. But, it, but the entire covered the face of the state of Texas two feet deep. Now, if you were to take one of those silver dollars and put a mark on that silver dollar and then throw it out there in the middle of the state and mix the whole thing up and then take one person and blindfold him and tell him he could travel as far as he wanted to and pick up one coin, and the one coin that he picked up would be the one that was marked that is the likelihood of one person possibly fulfilling just eight of the prophecies in his lifetime. I mean, you got to admit that is almost statistically impossible. What would be the likelihood of that? That's almost impossible. But you know what? That's what Jesus did. Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. And that's why everything centers. That's why the prophecies are so powerful there. That's, so, that's why, why prophecy is something that we ought to know about and kind of understand that they all came true in the life of Jesus Christ. So let's look at four of those prophecies. We're not even going to look at eight. Let's look at four of those prophecies focused on the birth of Jesus. So here's the first one. First prophecy is that all the nation would be blessed through Abraham's lineage, that every nation would be blessed through Abraham's lineage. God made this promise to Abraham when he called him to be the father of the Jewish people. In Genesis 12, God said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this prophecy may seem to be a little bit general. You know, you might be, well, it could be anybody. How are they going to bless people? But, uh, but God was establishing a people through, his, uh, through which his son, the Messiah, would come. But then the whole world would be invited through this person to be a part of God's family. Now, again, we think about when we read the Old Testament, we think about primarily the Jewish people. But keep in mind that God peeled one man off of all creation at that time. It would be like picking one individual out of this room and saying, now your family going forward is going to be a different, a special family. And so, everybody else in the world was kind of left out of that family of God for a time. But God promised that this descendant of Abraham would one day invite everyone to be a part of God's family. Now, the promise that he gave Abraham was repeated multiple times throughout Abraham's life. But the problem was he didn't have any children. And the likelihood didn't, uh, was getting dimmer as time went on. He was getting older. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, did not want to wait for this promised son And so, they took things into their own hands, took a shortcut by having Abraham impregnate Sarah's servant, Hagar, who did go on, who had a son named Ishmael, who, by the way, is now the father of the nations, the Arab nations, thus setting up the ongoing and the current conflict between Israel and the Palestinians. So, you see what happens when you don't wait on God, you create for the whole world for the rest of time this conflict that's probably never going to go away. And the fact that the Messiah would be Jewish was a very specific prophecy that narrowed the field considerably. So everybody else outside of Abraham's family was already exempt from that. In Luke chapter 3, in the genealogy of Mary, it states that Abraham was the ancestor of Jesus, therefore fulfilling this prophecy. A second prophecy that that was given about Jesus that narrowed it even more so was that the Messiah would come from the family of Judah, specifically in the line of David. God said this uh, to David in 1 Samuel 7, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So David, uh, God told David, I'm going to establish a descendant from you that will rule over my kingdom indefinitely, forever to the end of time. Now, who was David? Well, he was the greatest king of Israel. And the people uh, longed for a return to the power and the might that they had whenever David reigned. Under King David, they had national pride and unity and identity, something the Jewish state longs for today, right? But it just wasn't going to come in the way that they thought it would be. Jesus met this requirement, again, in the genealogy of Luke chapter 3, if you trace that back you'll see that Jesus was a descendant of David. And David, of course, was a descendant of his ancestor, Judah, who was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Now, Sadly, though, the whole Jewish nation has, for the most part, never acknowledged that Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, today, when we hear about Israel, most of the Jewish nation are ethnic Israel only. They are not a religious uh, nation. They, they don't, most of them don't claim to be religious. They're not even religious Jews. And those who are Orthodox Jews and still looking for the Messiah uh, will never see this prophecy fulfilled in anyone else. Yeah. They will never see this fulfilled for a very one spe- very specific reason. And that is that the Jewish ancestral records that trace family lineage back to David were reportedly lost and destroyed when the Romans conquered Jerusalem in 70 AD and destroyed the temple. So all those records were kept. They were very... Uh, Uh, very much concerned about keeping the ancestral records. But they literally were kept on books. And when someone was born, they were added. But those records have reportedly been destroyed. And so today, any claim of a modern-day Messiah would only be that person's word. And there would be no actual historical documents to prove that. So that's a huge thing. I've never thought about that. But how do you prove that you're of the line of David? There had to be some way to do that. Reportedly, that's no longer possible. Well, a third prophecy that's connected to David, uh, uh, and very specific to the birth of Jesus, is that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, the town of David. Very specific. And then a small book, a minor prophet, Micah chapter 5, says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So the Bethlehem, which would be the city of of David, it was his hometown. It was a very small and humble place, a cluster of homes that was south of Jerusalem. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking about Nunsuch. I don't know if you've ever been to Nunsuch or not, but it's not a very big town. That's a kind of a stretch of words. It's more of a cluster of homes, right? It's a nice little community there. All right, it's a nice community, but it's not much of a big city. Uh, you know, it's not, you wouldn't think of it in that way. So it was a small farming area. And in fact, in the Old Testament, uh, the, not only was David born there, uh, but the story of Ruth was also set in the area of Bethlehem, in, in that area. And uh, she was an ancestor of David and an ancestor of Jesus as well. So it was, a, it was just a small area. It wasn't very big there. Not many people came from there. Shepherds, uh, because it was a farming area, they lived out in the field, caring for their flocks throughout the day and the night. And the area is filled with limestone caves that oftentimes were repurposed to be a shelter of a sort uh, for the sheep, the animals that would be uh, held in the, on the land there. Now, history suggests that the pastures of Bethlehem, just south of Jerusalem, is where the sheep were raised for temple sacrifices. Keep in mind that they had to come and offer a perfect lamb. And so, these were healthy animals there. They had to be perfect. The lambs, they say, were oftentimes wrapped in cloths to protect them so they wouldn't get cut or, or have broken, arms, uh, broken legs. And, uh, and they would be spotless and without blemish to offer to God. And there also some suggest that it may have even been these very cloths that wrapped uh, these lambs that were later used to swaddle the Lamb of God when He was born in those humble surroundings. So there's so much connection there. It's kind of intriguing to think about this community that was put on the map by King David, but then also was a place where Jesus was born. The fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem was a miracle in itself because Mary and Joseph were not directly from Bethlehem. They actually lived in Nazareth, about 90 miles north of the city and probably had never been to Bethlehem in their lives. Never been there. Their ancestors were from there, but they had no reason to go back. Both of them were of the family and the line of David So they were required to travel to Bethlehem in order to to, uh, register for a census that was going to be taken. And uh, so they traveled there, 90 miles, probably a week's travel or more. Mary was in her third trimester. She was very pregnant when she got there. They couldn't find shelter due to the influx of people who also had to come there. All the people had to go from the line of David, go there to register for the census. The inns could not contain the crowd. Imagine people just converged on a small town. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people. There was nowhere to put them and all the inns were full. So Mary and Joseph were turned away and could only find shelter in one of those cave shelters that animals lived in. And there the baby Jesus was born. See, only God could have orchestrated that. Only God could have done that. But in the Old Testament, someone, Micah said to the inspiration of God that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. How unlikely was that? Not only does the Bible account tell us that Jesus was baptized there as predicted, but we also see another kind of unusual um, verification of that. And that is that when the wise men came trying to find Jesus, they went to King Herod in Jerusalem. And Herod conferred with his, wise, his, his advisors, and when uh, he told them that they need to go to Bethlehem, that's the scripture it said. And when Herod could not find the identity of this new king, He then ordered the murder of all the baby boys, two and under, in the city of Bethlehem. They were all be put to death, and that too was prophesied. And and in Jeremiah chapter 31, it says, A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Rachel being a descendant of David, uh, and grieving for the children. And, you know, the early church celebrated what they called the Feast of the Innocents on December the 28th. And in medieval England, the children would be awoken on the morning of the 28th, and they would be reminded of the sorrow of that day by being whipped in bed in the morning. So, Merry Christmas on the 25th, and on the 28th, you get a whipping to remind you that you should grieve because of the death of the innocents there. Merry Christmas to the kids, right. Right. You know, Herod, who was obviously ruling uh, in, <coughs> in Jerusalem, not from Bethlehem himself, Herod tried to identify with the prophecies about Bethlehem because he built later a huge mountain fortress just outside of Bethlehem and that he called Herodium. And this artificial mountain, it was a huge mountain, and it contained defensive towers and pools and pleasure palaces, a Roman-style theater, and his own mausoleum just outside of Bethlehem. And there's excavation done on this uh, this man-made mountain uh, today. You can get online and you can see that. But he wanted that to be an everlasting memorial to his reign. He wanted to tag on to the whole Bethlehem theme. You know, so uh, it's pretty amazing how all this comes together, isn't it? And how prophecy was fulfilled. Well, the fourth major pro- prophecy about Jesus' birth was that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. In Isaiah chapter 7... It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Well, you know, this might be the most scandalous, if you will, of the prophecies about Jesus. I mean, the thought that God would send his son through an unmarried woman was unthinkable to the self-righteous Jewish leaders. This was, they wouldn't even consider this to be a possibility of any sort. And the word virgin denotes a woman who had never, been sexually intimate with a man. Not only would this be a miracle, but it would also explain how the Messiah could be both man and God. That was the prediction. How could someone be God and man? And it would only be through uh, the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary. Matthew chapter 1, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. You know, skepticism today about the virgin birth is very common among many people uh, because we live in a culture that values so-called science above Scripture and above the Word of God. And so there are a lot of people today who kind of scoff at the virgin birth. And yet, many of those same people would say they believe in an all-powerful God who can do anything. So if God can create this earth and everything in it, why is there such a stretch to believe that God could bring his son into the world through a virgin. The virgin birth was God's way of sending his son into the world, becoming both man and God. It had never been done before because God had never come into our world before. It had never happened before. But the reality, and it stands as a strong and and undisputed proof, which has always been taught by the church, and which, in fact, if you think about it, in the ministry of Jesus, at one point became a criticism of him, uh, that he had been born when Mary, before Mary and Joseph had, had married, or had been conceived before they had married, and she was a virgin. Going back to that first pro- prophecy in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says, And I will put intimity, uh, enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, in this prophecy that I've alluded to a time or two, did you notice here that it says, The offspring of the woman will crush Satan's head? Well, if I ever noticed that specifically, the offspring of the woman, it doesn't say the offspring of man, but of the woman. And here's something else I never knew. Another prophecy in Jeremiah 22 that gives a curse on the family of King Jehoiachin, who was an Old Testament king who actually compromised and with Babylon, and uh, the, his people were led into captivity during his reign. And it says in Jeremiah 22 that his offspring would never be a king or ruler of Judah, and guess who in the New Testament is one of his descendants? Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. So if Joseph had been the husband of Mary, uh, the, Joseph, the husband of Mary, had been Jesus' real father, then he could never have taken uh, the uh, the role of Messiah because uh, he had been prohibited, his line had been prohibited from ever serving. You know, these prophecies make for some fascinating study, to be honest with you. If you kind of look through there and, and study those things, <laughs> But let's not miss the importance practically, because they not only connect the Old Testament and the New Testament together, but they verify that Jesus met every criteria that was given to be the Messiah. He met every criteria. You know, skeptics have often asked, you know, could it be a coincidence of some sort that Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies? Could it just be a coincidence? Not if you're honest, you know, not if, not if you're honest and you follow, follow the numbers, you know, you look at those things, that it would be impossible, literally. The odds alone said it would be impossible for anyone to meet all of them, maybe a few, but all of them, there's no way. But Jesus did. Other people say, well, you know, isn't it, it possible that Jesus' followers have altered the story to kind of make it appear that he, gave, he met these prophecies? Or, or maybe Jesus constructed his life in such a way to fulfill them. Well, you know, there are some things that Jesus did to fulfill all prophecies. He did say that. However, there are some things that are totally beyond his or anybody else's control. Some things that Jesus nor his disciples could ever have have controlled these things, like when and where he was born. I mean, nobody could control that, right? The fact that he was born of a virgin, can't control that. The fact that later the the price for his betrayal was predicted, 30 pieces of silver. Um, the method of execution, his resurrection. You know, then we're getting into some more of those 300 prophecies. But the fact is that no one could ever construct that, ever do that. And these prophecies stand because they are irrefutable and irrefutable. An honest skeptic would have to accept them as truth. You know, I share these things today because I think it's very interesting. These things surround the birth of Jesus. But I also want to encourage the convinced. I think that most of us are convinced, right? Right. But we need to know that we have a good reason to be convinced, that there, there's evidence, there's fascinating things that the Bible, that all comes together to assure us that, yes, we're right, but also hopefully it might, you know, convince some skeptic as well, someone who says, who said Jesus was God's son? Who said Jesus was, was, was the Messiah? But the real bottom line is not, can you believe, but the bottom line actually is, will you believe? Will you believe these things? These prophecies are, are like the teaching and the signs and the miracles of Jesus. In John chapter 20, it says, These are written that, that that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Yeah. These things are written so that you may believe, and not just that you believe, that you act on these things and you find life in his name. Because if Jesus is true to the Messiah and who said he, uh, who is who he said he was, it has some major implications Amen. about your life, some major things. Because Jesus, once we know who Jesus says, Jesus then says, these, this is what you must do to inherit eternal life. Amen. You must believe these things. You must act on these things. And so that's my challenge to you, to encourage you this Christmas season to say, we have great reason to rejoice. Because this is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, who came to earth, God in human form, God and man. And having known that, we can be confident in our place in Him and our connection with Him. We can be encouraged in those things. But we can also be empowered, I think, to go out and say, did you know this about Jesus? Did you know that? Just to know for sure that the world has Jesus in it. He's come to us and that all need to receive Him. And so, I challenge to you this morning, if you're a believer, to recommit your faith to Him. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, I challenge you to look at these facts, to examine them in your own life and the implication for them. Because if He is who He said He was, then we must receive Him as our Lord and Savior. Because heaven is real and hell is real. By the way, the Bible put lots of prophecies about that as well. And we have to receive that as truth and, and adapt our lives accordingly. You know, I'm going to be up front here in a few moments during this time. You know, I, I don't know, maybe your concerns or what's on your mind has nothing to do with this topic this morning, but you would like someone to pray with you. Maybe you're discouraged or down, struggling, a loss, hurt, something going on in your world that we'd love to pray with you about, be people that would, would, are willing to do that, will step up and do that, uh, whatever it may be, or maybe it's taking your next step on your journey. You know, we had uh, Friday night, we had a baptism, which is a beautiful way to celebrate Uh, the birth of Jesus. And maybe that's what the step you need to take. Uh, We'd love to do that, whatever it may be, to help you on your journey. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Father, the the, the scripture from beginning to end. And God, thank you that we can trace who you are and who Jesus was by looking at the, the, the historical predictions, prophecies that were made. And then, Lord, you miraculously fulfilled them and centered all of those prophecies on jesus your son god thank you that we can have confidence and peace in that may that establish it in our mind and give us uh even more confidence of the hope that we have and lord i pray also that we would not be content to keep this truth to ourselves; that we would take this to a world specifically lord not so much facts but just the identity of jesus and and the hope that jesus gives to us lord encourage us and use us mighty throughout this season and, God, we just thank you again for sending Jesus into our world such an amazing way, such a neat way for us to celebrate. And, Lord, that may, may that be the focus, not only of this week, but, Lord, more, most importantly, all of our lives. And, Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.